Selling a business is not for the faint of heart. I'm just going to say that. You want what you want and you know your business is valuable and you've gotten all the work done to have a good exit. You know, you're always looking at it from your side and somebody else who's buying it is looking at it from a different side. So they're always going to have questions. And it's good to just have that sanity check because it becomes so emotional at that point that sometimes I felt like I wasn't even thinking straight. You're listening to Deal Closers, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, Website Closers Doug Grinstaff, Lenny Farber, Isaac Porter, and I talk to Robin Bennett, co-founder of The Dog Gurus, someone who leveraged her expertise in reading dogs into courses, memberships, books, and an eventual exit. Robin didn't actually grow up with dogs. Her dad was in the Marine Corps, and her mom didn't want to add a dog to the busyness of life. But dogs in the neighborhood would always come by her house, and she loved them, would teach them tricks, and just had a sense of how to read them. After high school, Robin followed her dad's path, but she also wanted to follow her passion. I was in the Marine Corps. I was actually um, active duty in the Marines, and I've always loved dogs. And I just wanted to do a little bit of a hobby, uh, training dogs. So I actually asked my commanding officer if I could go to a dog training school, and he agreed. I went to the school, came back, and I was just going to do that as just a thing on the side, just for fun. And turns out people wanted to pay me. I didn't really expect that. I had never really considered being a dog trainer as a career. But once I saw that that was a possibility, I said, well, maybe I should try doing this. So she became a dog trainer. And in the 90s, that meant driving around her community and sometimes much farther, going to clients' houses. After a while, she got tired of living out of her car. So she started a dog daycare, a new concept at the time. And that side hustle turned out to be pretty successful. After a year of that, I did need to hire staff. So I started hiring employees to help me with the daycare. I kept doing the training. But over time, I ended up moving to a new location, ultimately started um, getting asked to do speaking engagements on how to start a daycare, ended up writing a book in the process of that. It wasn't so much I wrote a book. It was more that people wanted to know how to do it. And I had written all of my SOPs down and I started just saying, I don't have time to deal with you people. Just here, give me $25. I'll give you all this stuff and you can go do it on your own. Turns out if you do that, more people want to talk to you, not less. I was actually trying to get people (laughs) off my back because I didn't have time to talk to them. And because through that book, I ended up getting a lot more speaking engagements. But at that point, I eventually did hire more trainers. So long-term, I had my dog training company for about 18 years and I hired about 13 instructors that were doing the dog training. At that point, we were doing private lessons and group classes And then I was also doing the daycare, which I ultimately sold and then started doing more and more speaking and consulting because I was just in a a bigger demand for that to help others. And I really enjoyed helping others. So that sort of morphed after a couple of decades into doing more consulting. This is awesome. So you're you're starting to pivot into uh, helping humans with their business instead of helping humans with their their dogs, right? Exactly. It's starting to get to to more B to B to B than, than B to C eventually you decide to, to sell. Was it both sides of the business, the the daycare and the the dog training? Back then when I had the training and the daycare, I didn't actually want to sell the training because I still wanted to keep doing that. And that was really my passion to begin with. But I also was getting so many, I was just getting pulled in so many different directions. That was also nine 11 happened. I also got activated the day after 9-11 because I was still in the Marine Corps Reserve. So I was activated the very next day and went back on active duty for about a year and was activated to my community. So I was stationed right outside of Quantico. So that's where my business was. So I didn't have to go anywhere, but my business all of a sudden was completely run by my staff, which thankfully I had worked to that point to where it wasn't too traumatic when I was like, okay, you got it. I'll be over here in the Marine Corps now. Um, And then I was getting asked to go to trade shows and seminars. And so there was just too much on my plate. It's something had to give. And so my decision was to sell just the daycare and I would keep the training. So I I didn't sell the company name. I sold just basically the the daycare business. And at that point, then started doing training more. And then I started doing a lot more consulting and speaking. 
at different events and seminars. So that, that was your first exit. How did that work out for you? Well, compared to now, that was like horrible. So like <laughs> in hindsight, um, it, it went well, like at the time I just wanted, I needed to as quickly as possible unload the daycare. I owed money on the daycare. So my goal basically in exiting that business was make sure I make enough money to pay off my loans, which I did. And I made a little bit of profit in hindsight. If I knew, you know, now 2020 is always a great thing. I could have probably gotten more money for it. Um, and the buyer ended up, the saddest thing for me was that that business owner who bought my business after about two years ran it into the ground. So it ended up closing. And I actually had as part of the sale, I was allowed to train in that facility for a year for free. And I ended up leaving early because I didn't like the way she started running the business. And so I didn't want to be associated with anymore. So I actually left early. So it, it was successful in the sense that it got the goal of giving me more free time because I didn't have the daycare to deal with. But in hindsight, I, if I knew more about what I know now, I probably could have gotten more money for it and maybe found a better buyer as well. Gotcha. Yeah. And we'll get to um, lessons learned from that and how you applied it to the the next sale um, here in a little bit. So tell me more about the speaking opportunities in in your books. So it sounds like you had all these doors opening up for you uh, and you just open those doors even further and, and ran with it. Um, tell us about your, your books. Yeah. So my first, like I said, my first book was really just a, a compilation of stuff I had done because I was documenting things as I was doing them because it was all brand new. And I ended up cleaning that up and actually publishing it as a book that is still now it's in a second edition and it's still one of the number one books on opening a date dog daycare. It's called all about dog daycare. Um, the second book I wrote, I actually started a partnership with a friend of mine. Her name is Susan. She's actually the other co-founder of the Dog Gurus. So when we sold the Dog Gurus, it was the two of us um, selling the business. But she had reached out to me. She was in a very similar situation. I was in Virginia. She was in Texas. We met through me speaking at trade shows and conferences. And she was also one of the few people at that time that was doing daycare. She also had boarding and training. So she was in the pet industry doing daycare. And we had a very shared philosophy of how we should be managing daycare for the safety of the dogs. So we, she reached out to me through email one day and just said, Hey, we really, we need to train our staff. You need to train our staff. And we were struggling with that in the, in the industry in general, there was no resources at this time because like I said, 20 years ago, daycare didn't really even exist. So all of the pioneers who were doing daycare at the time were learning as we go. And so we both needed resources to train our staff. And she asked me if we would partner together on a book. So I agreed to do that. So that second book was really a collaboration between um, Susan and I to write a book on how, which we were going to use to train our own staff. And ultimately that's, that was the whole purpose of that book, but we started selling it to others in the industry. Eventually that book became a DVD training program for, so it's one of the flagship products that the dog gurus ended up selling was a program called Knowing Dogs, which was all about canine body language for staff training. And that came out because people liked the book. And we kept, at that point, we started going to trade shows together and selling the book. And people said, this book is great, but we need videos and we need testing material. <laughs> and so this is one of those, like, if you know what is ahead of you, you might not do it. Susan and I are like, how hard can that be? Let's make a training video. And like a, two years later, we had that done, but it was a a long process to create that, but it did become one of the best selling products that um, now it's been a couple million dollars worth of product that sold through that DVD program that now it's online, but started out as a DVD then went to be a USB. And then ultimately we put it online. That is amazing. Um, so with this whole process, is that how you decided to start the dog gurus? Eventually? Yes. So when Susan and I, uh, first started working together, it was just a joint venture. She she had her own company. I had my own company and we were doing some things on the side. Um, we wrote the book together and then we wrote the staff training program together. And we both were just doing independently doing our own stuff. I was helping a lot of people with training and still doing dog training myself. She was actually, because her background is in accountancy, she was actually helping business owners with some of the financial stuff um, through her own company. And then we had this little slice together that called that we did call the dog gurus at the time, but at the time it was a joint venture. It wasn't its own company. 
And we did that for about five years. And we just really didn't want to start a third company. So we were like, eh. well, we went to, Susan and I always have believed in coaching. We've always had coaches helping us with our businesses. And we went to a coaching where we did a mastermind once. And my question, my ask for that mastermind was something to do with, you know, what should we do to better sell this program that we had? And every single person in the room was like, why do you guys have free companies? That makes no sense. It's confusing the marketplace. Every single person. And so Susan and I were like, I guess we should merge all of our stuff together. And that's ultimately what ended up, we ended up doing. We closed both. We didn't close them, but we moved everything from our individual companies into the dog gurus and made the dog gurus its own corporation. And then built from the ground up, rebuilt all the programs that we would be selling because we merged all our material to make them products that incorporated the training stuff that I had and all the financial stuff she had. And then we created new stuff together. So that was a huge, long undertaking. But again, it made sense because as soon as we did that, our sales started growing immediately. And so I think everybody that was telling us we were confusing the marketplace was right. Um, it's just one of those things. I think sometimes you need someone to hit you on the head a few times and and be humble enough to admit, okay, maybe we should do that. Cause we were both really didn't want to have partnerships um, together. She had had another business partnership that didn't go well. And so she didn't want to do that. And I was like, eh, I don't really know, but we worked together um, very well. So ultimately it was the right decision though. Well, so it couldn't have been all smooth. Um, were there any bumps along the way as far as, figuring out how to work with a partner again? Um, actually, not really. The most bumps we had were when we were getting ready to sell because we had different goals for exiting. Our philosophy, I think because both of us did, I ha also had a partnership um, with another business that I had and ended up in mediation with that. So I think right from the start, because Susan and I were both like, we don't want to have that um, happen again to either of us. And we were friends. We had a really strong partnership agreement with um, everything in it, you know, well, this would never happen. No, we put it, everything was in the partnership agreement, including how to exit, how to buy each other out, you know, what happens if one of us dies, like all that stuff was in our part partnership agreement. Um, but then we really made a goal to try to be honest with each other and to really have like the main goal. Anytime we had disagreements on what we were going to do, we always just went back to what's the vision and mission and what are the goals we set for this particular year? So that really kind of caused us not to have a lot of conflict as we were working through things. And she she really had her lanes and I had my lanes, which I think also helped um, because we both had you know our strengths and weaknesses. And we had things that she would do that I would leave her alone and things that I would do and she would leave me alone. And we came together to share whatever our progress was. But anytime we were not sure what we were going to do we just went back to what's the vision and mission and goals, mostly financial goals for this year. And what's the best way to get there. And when you boil it down to that and you take out all the emotion, then it becomes really easy to make decisions for. So we really didn't have a lot of conflict as we um, grew our business, which was nice. So as you're, as you're growing, is it the, the video sales that's working for you or were you starting to put courses together? Like how, how did that all work? We initially started out with a membership site. So we were selling the DVDs oh, wow. at that point. They were DVDs and USBs. We were selling those, but then we really said the way to maximize revenue, let's do a membership site because then you get recurring revenue. So we, when we initially launched the dog gear, was we launched it with a membership at the time, I think we launched it, it was $15 a month. And it was monthly content that Susan and I would put together for our members, which were business owners, mostly focused on daycare. And then over time, once we decided to merge all of our content together and form the Dog Gurus as its own company, we started adding a lot of other resources, not just the daycare stuff, but we started adding the training material and the financial material. So that was, we did that for about four years of monthly content all the time to our members. And then we started to say, now that we have, cause that was also about the time we merged our companies, we started to have a lot more material and content. Our biggest problem all along was we had so much content. We weren't sure what to do with it. So we then worked with a branding expert who basically came up with 
our uh, signature programs, which were not, we were still membership site oriented, but some of them were longer term than a month. So it was something that you would get access for six months for a certain program or maybe a year. So we built those and they helped the business owners over the life of their business. So we had a program called Launch Formula for new business owners, Growth Intensive, which was for existing business owners and Profit Network, which eventually became a coaching program for um, higher level people that were more experienced in business and were looking to scale their companies. So it started out with memberships and then started to morph more into some coaching, but all of it was online except for the coaching, which was still online. That was Zoom, but that was a lot more interaction. The other thing that we really started trying to to do was work less <laughs> because when you have a monthly membership and there's two of us creating that content, but four years of every single month, something's due, every single month, something's due, that gets tiring. <laughs> and I kept saying, we got to stop creating stuff and just reuse stuff because we had, like I said, we had so much content. So it was really our other goal was to really say, how do we get out of having to create constantly nonstop? And so let's package something together that we can, there's a work to get it done. But then once the work is done, people can just buy it and they go into the program and we're not having to do anything. So that was the other goal was to create programs that could be used that way. And we ultimately ended up not doing the membership site. We still sell the membership site, but the monthly content is much more minimal now, but they have access to the last four, the first four years of stuff that we did. So there's still plenty of content there. That's great. So how, how many members do you have at, at this point? Um, at the time we sold, we had based on all the different programs, there was probably between seven to 800 members at any given time, just depending That's on which program they were in, whether it was the monthly recurring or some of the other programs. Um, let's talk about marketing for a minute before we get into the the sale of dog gurus. So what, what worked for you, um, with marketing? Uh, was it Google ads, Facebook ads? Is it just word of mouth? Like what, what was working for you? We worked mostly with Facebook ads for lead generation. We did really, really well getting leads and we had a really extensive over, it, it didn't happen right out of the gate, but over the five the first five years, we built a really extensive funnel um, system. So our entire, you know, our entire company was all web oriented. It was all internet based. So we relied heavily on email marketing. And I know people are like, oh, email marketing's dead. It is not dead. So <laughs> I'm just going to tell people that almost all of our sales came from internet marketing, but we had a really extensive funnel. So my goal all the time was, because I did most of the marketing was, get me emails is it's a numbers game. The more emails you have, we knew we would convert people. If we could get them into our funnel, we found Facebook um, ads to be a really, really good way for us to do that. in in our industry, we tried selling on Facebook, selling on Facebook for us didn't work at all, regardless of the price point, like $9 to $19,000, every price point in between. I tried it and they, it just didn't work for us. I know other people that it works really well for, but for us, for the business owners that we were selling to, the Facebook worked really well for us as a lead generation tool. So we'd use that probably as our biggest one. And then we also, we did go to trade shows. So we were collecting emails at trade shows. And then we did have a, a lot of people that would refer to us. And we, now there's more competition, but when we first started the dog gurus, there was really no competition. So in terms of people that understood canine body language and can help train your staff and then understanding the financial aspect of it, there we really had zero competition. And when competitors started showing up, they didn't have the same experience as we had. So that I think also helped because if you would start looking for resources as a business owner, you were going to find us because there was nobody else out there. So right. that helped as well. What about any marketing mistakes? Was there any were there any situations where you just lit a bunch of money on fire? Oh yes, there's definitely those times. I think the biggest mistakes that I made was not understanding it enough myself, and then I would hire the experts, quote unquote. And the weird thing about when you hire expert for anything is if you don't actually understand it, then they could lead you astray. And that happened probably three times. I hired a marketing company, and 
I thought they were doing a good job. And then I would ask for data because I'm very data driven and they would, they would tell me things that would sound good. And I would just think that doesn't really make sense to me, but I didn't know enough to really question what they were doing. But ultimately I ended up, we ultimately did find a really good marketing agency, but they were somebody that um, was trained using digital marketer, which is what I ended up taking a course online to learn myself. And once I understood a lot more about what questions we should be asking and what data we should be getting, that helped a lot. I, w- I just wish I'd had done that differently. I wish I'd had done the course first and learned a little bit more about some of the data that really helps with marketing. Because everybody sounds really good when you're hiring them. But I spent mm-hmm. thousands of dollars on that, wasting money on that. Um, in terms of ads and stuff, I we've had a few ads that didn't work. But by then I knew, like, start with a low amount of money. And Facebook is an easy, you can get good results with a really small amount of money as a budget. And then once it's working, just dump money into it. So I didn't really feel like I wasted money that way, but definitely in hiring some of the companies we worked with, I wasted gotcha. money that way. So uh, it seems like everything was going well. You've got 700, 800 members. You've got courses there. You've got videos there. The company is is growing. When did you and Susan start thinking about the exit? About probably three to four years ago, again, we were in a coaching program. And at that point, we started to say, like, we at some point we're going to leave. And so we need to plan that out. And both of us had, Susan had also sold another business and she did not exit on her terms. By now, I kind of had looked back on my own business that I had sold and said, you know, I probably could have made more money that way. And we were now actually helping other businesses that we were working with figure out how to make their companies more valuable so they could exit. So we weren't actually helping them to sell their business, but we were helping them to put systems in place so that they could sell. So I, we all knew we needed to do that for our own business as well. So I would say about four years ago, just a couple of years before COVID, really, we started talking about it to say, okay, at some point, you know, what, what do we were really looking at the question of what do we need to make in order to be happy if we sell? And those numbers were different for Susan than for me. So that was where there was a little bit of um, like, we need to come to figure out how this is going to work because I don't, she wanted a much higher number than I would. I did. So I was like, well, when we get to like being a million dollar company, if we get a multiple of four, I'm good to go. (laughs) And she was like, oh, I want like maybe get to 2 million and then do a multiple of four. And I I didn't really want to work just to get her to her goal. So that's where we started to say, okay, well, we need to think about what this is going to look like. And over the next couple of years, let's grow as much as we can and then see where we are in about four years. Um, so, so we had those conversations really for the last several years. Gotcha. Yeah. Were you concerned that if you don't do it soon, then it, it might not be around, it, it might not be available to you in the next couple of years? No, selling when we, I mean, we feel like we could have sold any time. Um, so that wasn't a concern for me. It was just like, uh, at some point I just want to retire. It was right. more just, and for me, because I was, I am a reserve in the Marine Corps, I get a reserve retirement when I reach 60. So for me, I was also like, hey, by 60, I have another retirement coming in. So um, I wanted to really retire by 60. I actually turned 59 tomorrow. So I actually did it a year early, which is nice. Um, But I was just, I just was ready to retire. I was just ready. We have an RV. I wanted to travel more. And I really wanted to not be in a situation where I'm out in my RV and I have to go, we got to find internet because I have a Zoom call which was happening like the past couple of years. So it wasn't, but it was more for both of us. It was really more of like, what do we want our retirement to look like? And what financially, where do we want to be in order to get there? And when we sell wasn't really that big of an issue. Um, Part of what, part of the thing that did affect us though, was COVID. So in the middle of all that, those conversations, COVID hit and we probably with I would say without COVID, we probably could have sold at the same time and made a little bit more money. I don't think we would have doubled it, but we'd have probably made a little bit more. We grew during COVID, but we didn't grow to the point we thought we would, partly because mm. COVID affected our industry. So um, so that was and that, but then also COVID made me go, oh, my gosh, now I really went out because it's a whole lot harder. <laughs> so there was sort of a double edged sword there with COVID. But we did we did 
kind of wait, we were ready to sell um, a little, we had actually gotten some valuations and then COVID hit and we were like, well, we could sell now or we can wait a little bit for our revenue to get a little higher and show more of a growth before we sell, which ultimately is what happened. So. Gotcha. Well, let's bring Lenny Farber and Doug Grinstaff into the conversation here. Guys, when did you, when were you introduced to, to Robin and, and what do you remember from the initial conversations? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that one. I think it was late summer, early fall. So I think it, yeah, it was late summer. We ended up launching in early fall. I'm a, I'm a dog lover by nature. I've got two dogs myself. So I was excited off the bat. I knew it was a good company. Um, and then, you know, we, we meet and all of this expectations were f- fulfilled. You know, you've got a highly attractive sought after industry, um, predictable cash flow, uh, 60% net margins. And just the deeper, you, the, the more layers you pull back, the company just got better. And so I was really excited to partner with Robin. We gave her a valuation that we thought was healthy and probably on the higher end of the range. Um, and I think Robin and Susan liked the number and uh, we'll, get, we'll get to it. But fortunately, we, we arrived at that number and that's what we closed at. Yeah. And I'll say we we had gotten two valuations prior to us working with website closers, mainly because we wanted a baseline. We wanted to just know, like, I mean, every business owner that we ever talked to is like, oh, business is so valuable. And then you get a valuation. You're like, maybe not. And we didn't want to go through that. So we got a valuation from two other companies. They were not as high as we wanted, but they weren't horrible either. But our biggest problem, number one, I found out in hindsight, we paid for one of those valuations, which really I would not do. I would not recommend people do now. And the other thing was that we didn't really feel like those companies understood our business, the way we were running our business because they didn't really deal with internet businesses or e-commerce businesses. And when we, I don't even, Doug and I asked, we were talking about this at breakfast the other day when we met in Nashville about how we even heard about web closers. And I think we got, I think I got an email, just totally cold call email. And I was at the point where I was like, I really want to sell. We need like knowing that the sales process was going to be at least a year is what I was thinking in my head actually turned out to be about eight months. So that was nice too. Um, but knowing that it's, I'm working for a year, if we start right now, I wanted to start sooner than later. So when I saw that email and then ended up having a consult the, right off the bat, I really had a good feeling for Lenny and Doug. Like they were just down to earth. I felt no pressure from them. Then they, un, they right from the bat, Susan and I were like, they totally understand our business model. That was the biggest thing that said we should go with them. And then they were like, oh, we'll give you evaluation for free. <laughs> we were like, wait, that's a thing. Like we just didn't know. And so, and then the valuation did come in at the price that we were actually looking for. So we were really excited to, to keep, to move forward with, with them. Hey, I've got a question. I've got a question for Lenny and Doug. Um, what do you think you guys saw in Robin's business that differentiated it from the other valuations that she got and kind of what were the kind of key value drivers that you looked at when you were coming up with that estimate? So we definitely looked at the, um, the recurring revenue, which was very attractive, the high profit margins, as Doug mentioned before. And I, I, we love the industry, the pets industry, which we know is growing at, I don't know, I guess about 10% a year. And the fact they're servicing the business, they're growing, they're, there were so many different avenues to scale the business. And also uh, Susan and Robin just did a great job in, um, putting together the SOPs that um, made it um, really just a, it would make it a smooth um, transition to a new owner. And um, and also their just their financials were so clean. And, um, you know, it was really th- like all the boxes were checked. Yeah. Another thing, Isaac, I think I'd probably add to that is Robin's involvement or lack thereof in the company. I, I, I wouldn't say buyers were skeptical about it, but I think they were surprised. It's very difficult as an owner to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, especially if you're someone like Robin, who's a prominent figure in the space. Um, but she did so, and it got to a point where she was working five to 10 hours a week, probably, roughly. She was traveling the country in an RV, and we're having calls with buyers, and she's on the road, but yet her company's still reaching new highs every month. And if you're a buyer at home, that's something you always want to look for. If a company is continuing to grow while the owner is on vacation and traveling, 
that's a company you buy every time. Yeah, great point. And I, and I think that's a that is a key distinction. A couple of those points you guys made are are key components of e-commerce businesses that brick and mortar businesses often don't have. Um, kind of, you know, the ability to automate a lot of the processes, the the higher profit margins, the recurring revenue and so I guess, and I'm I'm making an assumption here, but my guess is the other valuations probably had not taken those into account the way that we know that our market and our buyers will. Well, and I'll say from talking to the other companies that did the valuation, I felt like they didn't they didn't look at the recurring revenue as very valuable at all. Like that was one of the things Susan and I, from what we had learned, was there's always some multiple involved with the recurring revenue. They didn't really right. even talk about that at all. And then they were, and I think Lenny and Doug were as well, very focused on, you know, can this company operate without the two key figures who are the CEOs? Because Susan and I were 50-50 partners, um, but we had worked, tried to work ourselves, partly because we just didn't want to work that hard. We were trying to work ourselves to where we had more of our team doing stuff. So we were both only part-time, working part-time in the business, which was great. And that's you know, help to keep my sanity, you know, for the couple of years before we actually did sell. So I do agree that that was a, an issue, but automation was a huge thing too. I think that wasn't really taken into consideration. And part of that goes hand in hand with the owner being not as involved is to automate as many things as possible. And we had, we were very systematic in setting up our business to where we had as much automation done as possible. And less hands in the pot, so to speak. So I think that helped too. But I think a lot of that wasn't really considered with some of the other companies that we had the valuations done with. And we would talk to them and just, we felt like they just were like, yeah, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> and it's, again, it's one of those things where maybe we were wrong. We started look, Susan and I started saying, well, we've had two people tell us this. So maybe we're not right. Cause these are the people that are the experts. But then, like I said, as soon as we talked to Doug and Lenny, we were like, yes, this is the company we've been looking for because they actually did understand what we were doing and what our business model was, which was a huge difference from the other two. And because you were growing so much month over month, Lenny and I looked at that, we factored it in and we used a discounted cash flow model moving forward. And so we, we looked kind of six months forward, six months back. To, and our thesis was, by you know, it's a little bit on the higher end, but by the time we actually sell and there's a disposition in the business, you'll have grown into that valuation. And that's exactly how it played out. Yeah, Doug and I really felt very confident with the valuation and that we would be able to achieve it or get close to that. And uh, we did have multiple offers and uh, yeah. And Robin, what did you think about the structure? Because, you know, it's it's not always the case that people get majority cash at closing. And that was the case for you. So was that a structure you were happy with? That Yeah. So the structure of everything right from the bat, I feel like what was hard for our company is that you have two CEOs. And again, like everyone says you shouldn't be 50-50 partners. So I guess you really shouldn't be because nobody has majority share. Susan and I both had 50-50. And then we had different goals in wanting to exit. I wanted to retire completely. Susan didn't. And so we kind of went to Doug and Lenny and we're like, we got this business and she wants to keep working and I don't. And could you settle that for us? You know, and we weren't sure how that was going to work. And I'm not even sure if Doug and Lenny knew how that was going to work, but they were committed to saying like, we're going to work this for you and ultimately get what you want. Oh, and we did want um, mostly cash and we didn't want a very long note. If there was going to be a note, like we, I feel like we had the unicorn sale and I don't know if that's true, but I felt like we were asking a lot. And there were a couple of times where I know Doug and Lenny, we had the conversation like this might not be possible um, to keep the one owner there and the other owner leaves and you get all this cash up front because um, it was a almost 75%. Um, I forget the exact percentage, but it was mostly cash up front was ideal. It was like the best possible solution. And that's what we ended up getting. So that, yeah, that was amazing. And we were, you know, Susan and I had talked and we were willing to, I mean, there was conversations about, well, Robin might need to stay on an extra year as well as Susan. And we might not be able to get as much cat. We had all those conversations we had plans, you know, B, C, D, and E, but we really got a hundred percent of what we wanted, which was great. 
That's awesome. So Lenny and Doug, when you're getting these these terms and, and these requests that it's a, a lot of cash up front and one owner might want more money than the other, one owner might want to uh, stay on longer than than the other. You're putting this this deck together and you're excited about some things, but maybe hesitant about some other things. And then are you like, boom, I've got these three buyers that I know to send it to because um, they might be interested. Like, how does that all how does that all work? Yeah, so we did um, show it to a few buyers initially, but we did feel that um, in order to meet both Robin and Susan's expectations and needs, that we would obviously have to, you know, put it out there and have it in front of enough people, and and the right buyers would come along and appreciate those dynamics and and really just want to uh, make it happen for them, which ended up happening. That's amazing. Yeah. And I will say that's one of the best things. I mean, there's everything we did with website closures was great, but one of the great things was they did vet everybody. So Susan and I really didn't get even involved um, with meeting anybody until Doug and Lenny had already vetted them and already decided they would be potentially a good fit and we met with a lot of people. So I can't even imagine how many people we didn't meet with that they vetted and just said, okay, we're not going to set up a call. Um, and then ultimately once we, um, and we went through two kind of one and a half buyers really, um, but just going through that process of them helping us to answer questions that the buyer had and then them them taking our goals and relaying those to the buyer to make that work because we didn't have to do any of that, which was great. I mean, that's, that's what I love about the fact that, you know, you're using a broker that's going to do all that stuff for you. Cause there is enough to do <laughs> outside of that, that it's just one less thing off your, off your plate to sell. So how did you ultimately decide on who would be the right fit? We ended up meeting initially with, I don't even remember how many people, um, seven or eight, at least that we had an initial conversation that, was basically just an information gathering. We told our story, they told our story, why they want to buy, why we want to sell, that kind of thing. Um, usually based on that, between that conversation to see if it was a good fit and then what Doug and Lenny already knew about the person's finances or what they would most likely offer, we just, the three of us would jump, or actually the four of us, because Susan would be there, we would get on a call after we would have those initial meetings and just say, you know, no, part of one of the driving factors was Susan had to like them enough to want to keep working with them. So there was a few couple right. that were like, yeah, no, that's not going to work that's right. right off the bat. And there, were <laughs> and there were plenty, there were plenty that didn't get to the point of having a conversation because we knew that she wouldn't. Yeah. And then, then we had to be like, okay, we like them. Like, you know, are they going to be a good fit for our business? And we were, we were very conscious of wanting to make sure that the people that step in were going to have the same kind of feel for the dog gurus that we have at least going into it. So there was some of that and some really didn't match that either. And then there were, and then there were others that were like, this seems like a good fit, but then Doug and Lenny would say, well, here's what their finances are going to look like. And it might not have been a good match for what we were looking for. So we didn't move forward with those. And then when it seemed like it was a good fit, we just started down that process of meeting with them a couple more times and, Ultimately, we found the buyer that went, we went that whole direct, that whole route with. That's awesome. So, when did you end up selling? When did we end up selling? Mm -hmm. um, April fourth, we actually closed. So it's really about eight months from the time we. I think that's about right from the time we put it on the market. A little bit of time leading up to that to get you know the marketing material that Doug and Lenny needed um, to closing was about eight months. Wow, that's so fast. Um, and then, so how are, how are you and Susan still involved? Um, I'm not involved at all anymore. I did a month right after closing. I did about 80 hours. So about four weeks at 20 hours, which was what I had anticipated and kind of went into it saying, okay, this is what I'll do to transition. Um, so I did that. And so for the past month, I've been completely out and Susan did get hired. She's actually an, um, an independent contractor with them for now. So she's happy because she has that role. Um, less responsibility from her, still sort of a part-time role, which is what she wanted. So it's worked out for both of us. That's great. Um, Isaac, is it 
rare that an owner only stays on for a month or is that more common than, than I know about? That's, that's probably the shortest of transitions that we would see. It's, it's very dependent on who the buyer is, what type of team they have. Um, and I think, you know, the more an owner has been able to take themselves out of the business, at least the day-to-day operations, the shorter the transition is. So I think what, what Robin and Susan did here with preparing the business to be transitioned really set them up for success um, in terms of making that easy. But Robin, one of the questions I had also is how was the due diligence process and what was that like working with, with Doug and Lenny and were there any surprises in that process for you in terms of kind of the details or how that went? No, I would say the process was very long and tedious. <laughs> As you can imagine, no. I was, I was pretty much anticipating the way that all of the due diligence happened. Um, Doug and Lenny were really good about trying to consolidate things as much as possible. They set up, you know, a whole vault where we could put everything and upload stuff. So that, that was very helpful. I will say the financial due diligence, I didn't have to deal with. My husband is actually, was actually the CFO for our company. So he was an independent contractor to the doggers and our financials were, I will say he was an amazing CFO. So our financials were super clean. We, because Susan and I had our own separate companies, all of those like things that owners often run through their companies that you have to back out or add into your financials. We didn't have any of that because for the most part, any of those weird, like my dog's dog food I pay for out of, not out of the dog ears, but so our financials were very clean, but I was, I was overwhelmed with how much data they wanted and the only saving grace for me was that I wasn't the one pulling all that data. My husband was. And so it was a lot. I would say for anyone selling, that's one of the biggest things right from the start is to get your financials in order for the past three years at minimum. And we had that already done. So my husband did, you know, he cleaned up some stuff, but it wasn't like he spent an inordinate amount of time just getting the books to where someone could review them. But they really did a lot for due diligence on the financial side. All the other stuff for due diligence was a lot of conversations. Just how do you do this? How do you do that? So we spent a lot of time on Zoom just talking through things. And then I do think, to go back to your transition question, the buyer who bought us actually brought in a CEO right from the start. And she was on the, he knew who that CEO was going to be right from the start. So the very first meeting we had um, with him, once he had decided he was going to move forward to buying the company, the CEO was there, his CEO was there. And I think she has run other companies before. So I think that really helped that she was there through the whole sales process and then jumped in with both feet as soon as she became the CEO um, over like (laughs) she was drinking from a fire hose that whole time. But I think that helped to for the transition as well. And then our whole team stayed on as well, as well as Susan, but all of our other contractors and employees stayed on with the company, which I think helped with the transition as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So how does it feel after you know 10 years of running a company and you have a successful exit? How do you feel about it? Oh, I'm ecstatic. Like I am just over the moon. The whole thing couldn't have gone better. Now I say that Doug and Lenny probably are laughing because there were like a couple of times I was like, we're not doing this. I can't take it anymore. Like Doug in particular had to talk me off the ledge multiple times. And I just kept saying, um, Doug and Lenny both multiple times said that a deal falls, falls apart multiple times during this process. So it's okay. Don't worry. Um, we definitely had some challenging moments, um, probably working with, um, our Doug and Lenny had recommended a couple of legal, um, teams and we interviewed a few and picked a, a legal counsel who I loved. Um, the buyer's legal counsel was on a totally different plane from us. So there was a lot of, a lot of issues back and forth, just working with the two legal teams that just made things a little bit harder, a little bit more complicated, a little bit more stressful. Ultimately we got to the goal of selling, but there were definitely times through the process that you just, you're just like, I can't, this is just not going to work. It's going to fall apart. We're not going to get the money. And ultimately Doug and Lenny had to talk me off the ledge a few times just from that stress. So I will say I didn't, I wasn't always like, Oh yeah, this is such a great process. It's been so easy. I think in hindsight, it 
probably was super easy because we had Doug and Lenny helping us, but it's not without its frustration. Selling a business is not for the faint of heart. I'm just going to say that. Um, if you really are, you want what you want and you know your business is valuable and you've gotten all the work done to have a good exit, you're still going to run into, you know, you're always looking at it from your side and somebody else who's buying it is looking at it from a different side. So they're always going to have questions, but that's where having those intermediaries like Doug and Lenny to help walk you through that and kind of tell you where there, there were times where I was like, they're being totally unreasonable. And Doug would be like, well, they're not really. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, fine. And then there were other times where he was like, yeah, they are being unreasonable. Let's, you know, go back to them and, you know, ask them for, for clarification or whatever. And it's good to just have that sanity check because it becomes so emotional at that point that sometimes I felt like I wasn't even thinking straight. And then there were times where I was like, you know what? I don't have to sell. We don't, uh, let's just walk away from the deal. And <laughs> Doug and Lenny are like, uh, probably not. Like we're a week away from closing. So let's just keep going. So it's definitely now like two months afterwards, it's great. And I kind of forgot all those bad things and just thinking about them now, but it's definitely something you don't want to do by yourself. Yeah. We had a bunch of headwinds, uh, even really towards the end that also like just up until the end, the, the buyer's uh, bank was uh, First Republic. And uh, so it was right after Silicon oh, wow. Valley went yeah. and then Signature. Yeah. And, and we were watching the stock go down like, you know, uh, a few days in a row, 50% a day and, we're, and news all out there. And we're like, um, all right, as far as the funding is concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did they, did they fund the deal? They did. But we, we huddled together, Doug, myself, Robin, Susan, and, um, and Greg, and we, we, we were you know, aware of what the, what was going on with, uh, with the bank. Um, we basically agreed that we would go back to the buyer and have him come up with a plan B um, because, you know, his docu- his loan documents were, he couldn't get people on the phone. And then, you know, there was a lot of time going by and um, we did have that conversation with him and he did agree to, um, to a plan B, which ended up being a, a line of credit. And um, so he did access the capital that he needed and um, we did close uh, at the time that we planned on. Yeah. And I think oh, that's guy. the biggest thing is, you know, if you have, if you're not used to selling businesses, which clearly I'm not, um, Having that, you like, I know in, I know intuitively what has to happen to sell. Like people need to look at my stuff and then agree that they like it. And then they need to pay me some money. When we got down to the legal documents were, which were ridiculous, but even had they not been as crazy as they were for our sale, there's so much in there that I learned from our lawyer of, you know, what you should be looking for to make sure you're protecting yourself and things I had no idea about that between um, Doug and Lenny just walking through the whole process and every step saying, okay, here's what's going to happen next. And here's what you need to be looking for. And that's the, the, I, you know, you pay, obviously you pay the percentage of your sale to the broker, whoever is going to sell your business. I'll tell you right now, it's worth every single penny because of the amount of, I don't even know the amount of hours they spent helping us and everything from the phone calls, but I know they were also talking to the buyer. I know they were talking to legal. I know they were talking to the um, legal counsel on both sides. It's, I mean, it's so much work behind the scenes that I wasn't even aware of that they were doing. And then just keeping me sane and Greg sane and Susan sane, and then just understanding the whole pro. Like we just don't know what we, we didn't know what we didn't know going into this kind of sale. So helping, having someone that's helping you to learn that and make sure that they're looking out for your best interest as well as our legal counsel as well, obviously it's worth every penny to have somebody like that on your team. Love it. So Robin, uh, how do you treat yourself now that you've uh, got some, some cash in the bank? Well, we're planning a couple RV trips. I actually just finished a trip, um, three week trip with my mom and my mother-in-law and my husband, which was awesome. We just, that's when I actually met, uh, lent Doug because we went down to Nashville as one of our places on our trip, but we just traveled the country for about three weeks, just getting my mom and my husband's mom to see a ton of relatives. So that was a lot of fun. Now we're planning a trip 
um, in July and then another trip in the fall in our RV. And then we're planning a big trip to Alaska next year. So we're just looking oh, at wow. getting out in the RV, which was really one of the things that I wanted to do is to just be able to travel and not have to worry about running a business at the same time. So, and then just doing more work in our backyard and hanging out, <laughs> figuring That's out great. what retirement looks like really. So yeah, something tells me it's going to be another business for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe dabbling something, but nothing big. Yeah. Robin, this has been amazing. Um, how can our listeners and viewers connect with you? You can connect with me. Um, I have a fit dog club, which actually, if your dog needs to get exercise or you need to get exercise, you can do, but you can email me at Robin Bennett and the number one. So R O B I N B E N N E T T number one at the dog gurus dot, at the dog gurus. No, at iCloud.com. See old habits die hard. So Robin Bennett <laughs> one at iCloud.com. That's great. And your, um, in your books. Uh, my one book is all about dog daycare and that's on opening your own business, um, daycare business. And then the other one is off leash dog play, which is by me and Susan Briggs. Great. Robin, thank you so much for, for joining us today on the deal closers podcast. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, that was Robin Bennett, co-founder of The Dog Gurus, which you can find at thedoggurus.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Deal Closers Podcast, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, or share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jason Gillikin, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers Podcast.